Get all the details on Novell's new teaming and collaboration product next on Novell Open Audio. Welcome to Novell Open Audio, the podcast that connects the Novell user community with what's going on inside and around the Novell universe. I'm your host, Aaron Quill. And I'm David Mayer. And today we have a special guest with us. We have Gregory Webb. Gregory, welcome back to Novell Open Audio. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Uh, We brought you in today because we announced not only a new product, but really a new space that we're moving into today. Can you give us just kind of a brief overview of what that space is? Yeah, we're very excited. We have had as our core collaboration product, Novell GroupWise, and our, our open audio users are very well of the product. They're very passionate about the product. This new product, Novell Teaming and Novell Teaming Plus Conferencing, will extend the collaborative ca- capabilities and bring to our customers next-generation collaboration around wikis and blogs, all this n- new Web 2.0 technology, as well as team workspaces and some real-time components. Dave, Randy, and I actually got a chance to sit down and talk to one of your uh, lead developers on the product. Problems. Yeah. That's right. And he was actually awesome, and he gave us a real good technical overview of what the product does and everything that's in it. So why don't we go ahead and listen to that? Today, Rob Lures, senior analyst working on Novell's Teaming Plus conferencing product, joins Randy, Aaron, and myself. Rob, welcome. Hi. How are you doing today? Very good, thank you. So give us a high level. What is Teaming Plus Conferencing? Well, Teaming Plus Conferencing is a new collaborative offering by Novell to fill sort of the collaboration space. And by collaboration, I mean the the ability for teams to work together. So things like file sharing and threaded discussions, co-authoring of documents, uh, shared calendars, those kind of things. In addition to that, there's also the standard sort of social media tools just out there now, such as blogs and wikis. In addition, there's the sort of add-on product, the plus conferencing of teaming plus conferencing, which gives us the ability to also do instant meetings and voice over IP and, you know, the different real-time sort of collaborative pieces as well. So as a, as a full package, it sort of offers the, the full gamut of, of collaborative technologies. So, Rob, you're talking about pulling a bunch of different things together. How do I see this on my desktop? Is it all through a web browser? Or because you talked about sharing files, you talked about, you know, web pages and wiki type stuff. I am. Yeah. Do I have multiple clients that are running? Is it all through one virtual, you know, workspace that's in a web browser? How's it actually presented to the end user? So the way it actually works is it's all through a, a web browser. And so that's uh, one of the nice features because then it runs the same whether you're running Windows or Linux or a Mac. And so it's all, it's all available inside of a browser. And once you're, you're in the browser, it actually runs in the environment of a portal. Okay. Um, now, just to be clear... The, the web client, the part that runs inside of that web browser, is the, the Novell teaming portion. The plus conferencing portion actually runs as a separate tool, the instant messaging running with the, uh, the Pigeon IM client and the other part being an actual downloadable client for the, the meeting manager. And, and Pigeon, just for those listeners who aren't aware, Pigeon is what game became. So it's the game instant messenger that people are probably familiar with. The web portion of this, is it one of these rich new web 2.0 applications? If you'd, uh, if you'd like to call it as such, you, you could. It, uh, it does leverage Ajax technologies, advanced JavaScript, and uh, it is relatively active, yes. Right, so we're not talking about just static bunch of web pages and forms to fill in. No, no, no. It's a, it's a very active environment running in a, an open source portal, actually. 
and allows you to do many different things all very actively. So there's not a lot of sort of, you know, click on a submit button to wait for a whole page to submit and then click on reload, <laughs> a lot of that kind of thing. It's very dynamic. Right. Now, since it's in Ajax, can I actually get in there and manipulate the way that it looks? Uh, there are many different uh, things that you can manipulate. We're still working on exactly which APIs will be exposed completely. However, most of what you see is done using uh, JSP pages, and so you will be able to to go in and make changes to those kind of things. So can you give me kind of a real-world example here, Rob? You know, I work on a support team of 22 engineers, the majority of which are here in, in the same building, on the same floor, but we have a number in different states throughout the United States, and some even across the Atlantic in Germany. So... Can you kind of explain how this would look to me? You know, I'm working on an issue with a customer, and I want to be able to ask questions of my coworkers, maybe share some files, maybe look at some information and have somebody view what I'm seeing. How would this kind of be presented, and how would it look to the end user? So in the beginning, you have a bunch of different options you can use in that scenario. We actually uh, do that all the time. It's basically, the first option you have is, is the ability to actually track, let's say, support incidents through a, a folder. And the way the folder structure could work is you could actually build via a point-and-click interface. You can build a custom form that will take in any of the inputs you want, whether it's drop-downs, checkboxes, radio buttons, those kind of things. And again, you don't need to know any HTML or JSP to code those. It's all just point-and-click. And upon building one of those forms, a customer or a representative on the phone with a customer could fill out that form and submit it. Upon submission, the system has the ability to send either an email or an instant message out to a single user or to a group of users, in this case, uh, your, your coworkers, wherever they may be, basically saying that there is a new case and, and here it is. And so as it comes up, you have a couple different options. One is, in terms of asynchronously, you could actually wait for people to, to get their email, click on it, or click on the link that comes up in their IM window, and they could go in and add a reply. And so you have that threaded discussion feel, and they could add different thoughts as you go through there. Okay. The other way, of course, is when the IM goes out, they may say, oh, this IM was submitted by Aaron, so I'm going to go in there and I'm going to click on uh, this link and I'm going to immediately see that Aaron's online because with the plus conferencing portion, we actually have presence enabled with inside the system. And so I could see from the little icon next to Aaron's name that he's online right now. And I could click an instant message back and forth and we could discuss that in real time. And if we suddenly decide, well, actually, we'd like to include three or four more other people, we could actually turn that IM session and change it into an actual instant meeting. Now, with instant meeting, we can immediately send out instant message uh, invites as well as uh, email invites. And if we have the, uh, the telephony add-on as well, the system can actually make phone calls to all the people we want to bring into our meeting. And so my phone, let's say I was one of the remote people you wanted to bring in, my phone would suddenly ring. I'd answer it and then suddenly be brought into this group conference call, at which point I could then get an instant message that comes up with a link that I click on to fire off my meeting client my meeting client would then pop up and bring me directly into an actual shared meeting space that we were all viewing. And when viewing that space, whoever started the meeting would initially have the presenter capability. They'd be able to share their desktop or any applications. We'd be able to whiteboard ideas. We'd be able to talk through anything we wanted to. In addition to that, we could actually record that entire meeting session so that if we had, let's say, uh, another person who wasn't able to join us due to that whole time zone difference, mm -hmm. that other person could actually go back, view the entire recording in flash, so it'll show all the, the video portion that we did as well as the audio portions. They'll be able to view the whole thing in flash and then be able to add their feedback again back into that threaded reply. Again, they're not happening at the same time. So we have a, a large number of options and possibilities there. So the, the customer interaction would come both via their you know, email, which, of course, could go to their, their BlackBerry or to their, their PDA, 
through instant message popping up immediately on their client, and as well as, of course, just through that, that standard sort of email modicum. So if I'm already asleep in my time zone, I'll get it in the morning and receive notice that, that there's a case that somebody would like me to, to participate in. So this is much more than just assembling an Apache server with a bunch of open source BBS and wiki and blog applications. It goes well beyond that because of the integration points. I mean, much more than, than you know, say, a Joomla or another content development system or, or any of those sort of the, the PHP boards and those kind of things. I mean, while, while having their place, they, they don't quite work as well in the, the enterprise example like you just gave. I mean, this is a so much better tool for that because all the different capabilities you have and all the different options you have spawning off of that, and they all spawn out of that initial very easy entrance point of just being in a web browser. Now, the place you started when you gave the description was with a form. Is that something that I, as an end user, build, or is it something that I build for maybe departmental purposes as uh, an administrator of that department's uh, services? The, the, the actual answer is probably in between those two. The average person that I've seen who would build those forms would be probably the power user. So, for example, if I had a support manager and then a pile of, let's say, 25 support individuals, it's possible the manager would tag two or three of those individuals to be the, the sort of the power user who helped build that initial form and, and got feedback on, on what fields needed to be put into that form from the rest of the community. So it wouldn't need to be an administrator. You wouldn't need to call your, your IT staff to build it for you because you're actually building it just by clicking on different links in the, in the web page. You're clicking on uh, what options you want. You're naming the field. It's almost like as if you were programming without needing to know a programming language. How do I avoid a situation then where, for example, every day we have a new form for customers? Well, with regards to forms, I mean, form here is, is like a web-based form. So, for example, in, uh, in my organization, I have a, a support, a sort of a defect tracking sort of form that I have filled out that has, let's say, 15 fields of the various parameters that I need to worry about. And so that obviously doesn't change very often. It, you know, I, I built it once and it's all set. But the, the real key is whoever the setup as the manager of that folder themselves actually determines which of the many forms can be started by whom in that particular folder. So in, in reality, especially if you're like, if we're talking about the example we were, the support team example, in a support team example, chances are that whether customer A or customer B calls you, you're going to need the same basic information from them. Mm-hmm. Now, there may be additional files you need in particular or send me a spreadsheet of this or performance log of this. And so because of that, you can make that – the key there is just, of course, building the flexible form. So building a form that has just, uh, let's say, empty five attachment fields. So they could add any extra logs they have or a zip file of, of all their logs. And the, the real sort of the, the call drivers, if you will, become the parts of the form, things like what operating system are you on? Are you, you, know, are you trying to do an install on, on Linux? Are you trying to do it on Windows? Are you having a problem with your network connection? The sort of the very basic parameters you'd build into a form – which would be used by everybody every single day, and then you'd leave a bunch of flexible fields, sort of open text boxes, as well as the attachment fields for, the, for the, uh, the handling of all the additional data. So is there any problem if we go out and, let's say, we release a form, like in Randy's example, for trying to help him out solve a problem, and we find out, you know what, we never added the field that says what client-based OS is being used. Is it easy to modify that field and then have it, you know, not only work on new incidences that come up, but make that kind of retroactive so that field's now available on all the forms you've already filled out? Yep, that's correct. It would be. Yeah, so basically, if you, know, if you decided from now forward that we added a new version numbering scheme to our, you know, to one aspect of the product that didn't exist before, you could add that drop down, and it would reflect not only in all new entries that were built from this point forward, 
but you'd also find that field re-entering in the past. The one example you would have to do actually in this product, though, is the administrator of that folder would have to redo the search index just so that the actual system was made aware of that new field for the old entries. So there would be one additional step in that process, but again, it's not a, an IT step. It's a step of just clicking on the right link that says refresh my, my search index to rebuild that field. Click a little button and here goes the refresh process. And where you want more dynamic content focused specifically at an individual issue, I think you'd probably be looking at using threaded discussion, email, linking those things to it rather than designing a new form for every case. Right. And in actuality, those threaded discussions and those additional replies, those actually are enabled with that custom form. So in that support example I gave, I would fill out an initial custom form saying that I'm using, let's say I'm using a Linux desktop and I'm having a problem integrating with my Wi-Fi network. And so you could then reply saying, you know, have you tried this to check your settings? And those replies would then be threaded and they'd all exist underneath that, that, that simple form we had built. We'd be able to have our threaded discussion and still work through that problem in, in sort of a, a clear text sort of format with those replies. Now, so going, the, going the custom form route doesn't take away any of the additional functionality. It actually adds more. Okay. Now, you, you've mentioned a couple of times uh, conferencing, and it sounds really flexible, but, you know, sometimes I want to be available to my colleagues, but it's a little disconcerting at times when maybe I receive a phone call, I pick it up, I say, hi, this is Randy, and boom, I'm in the middle of a conference call. Yeah. You know, how, how tunable and how uh, customizable is that sort of a thing? So when the phone rings, what actually happens is you get a message saying, hi, you've been invited to a meeting at the conference center. Please press 1 to join the meeting. The system actually gives you the option and informs you very clearly that you're being invited to a meeting in a conference center and that you have to press a button to get in. So it isn't you pick up the phone and say, hi, thanks for calling Randy, and you suddenly realize that there's 20 people in the line. <laughs> yeah. um, in addition, one of the other keys to it is you actually have the ability in the meeting client to specify what your your quote-unquote current phone number is. You can say, I wanted to call my office phone, I wanted to call my home number if I'm working from home, my cell phone, or you could say, do not call. The do not call is also an option. And the power of the do not call option is that let's say you're sitting online and you just didn't want to be bothered on the phone, but all of a sudden a meeting invite pops up via your instant message client. When you click on that, it automatically spawns up your, your meeting client the meeting client pops up and you look and see the meeting and you realize that, you know what, those are the, the five people I do want to talk to. Now that you're in the meeting, you can actually, with two clicks inside of your meeting client, just basically say, call me, choose one of the numbers you wanted to have call you, and then the system will call you. So cool. you can basically decide, I don't really want to be on it immediately. I want to proactively join myself rather than being joined without my uh, knowing so. Awesome. So in my business, I already have an existing telephony system, a PBX, for example, and I don't have to specifically integrate that. I don't have to use the Teaming Plus conferencing voice over IP solution. Is that correct? Sort of. Teaming Plus conferencing has an add-on that's available called the telephony solution. And what the telephony solution does is it actually allows us to integrate with a, uh, a card. It's basically a board that fits into a computer. Uh, made by a company called NMS Technologies. And what that board allows us to do is basically plug in directly into your existing PBX or your existing voice over IP solution, uh, whatever you'd rather use, or both for that matter. And it allows the, the software then to manage those calls. And so without that, that extra board, that extra little bit of processing becomes impossible for us to actually give us all the, the features that we actually have in that client. So for example, we have the ability to to mute individual callers, to mute all callers, to, to give the microphone to different individuals on the phone, to raise and lower volumes for each individual, 
uh, to set up actually sub calls within a larger meeting. So if we're in a meeting with, let's say, 20 people and we need to break into to four groups of five, this actually gives us the ability to, to partition off those different people into different conference rooms almost, if you will, over the phone, and then with two clicks, bring them all back into that main meeting again. And so all of this rich functionality is enabled uh, because of the fact that rather than being a, a huge drain on a server, it's actually a drain on the onboard uh, technologies of the card itself. So that actually is the positive answer I was looking for because my PBX isn't isolated and I'm not forced into a specific voice over IP solution. With a, a smaller package, this add-on card, I end up with my PBX linked into Teaming Plus conferencing. Very nice. Yep, that was our, our goal and we built it. <laughs> Now, I got a quick question. You're, you're talking about Pong, all this. I mean, you, you've talked about phone conversations. You've talked about these threaded conversations that have these forms mixed in. You popped in. You talked about people having discussions in IM. How do you index all this stuff? Because, you know, I've also got these blogs going on. Is it easy for me to go and get all the information about one specific subject? So it's relatively easy, but not as easy as you might like. Part of the reason is is the integration for the instant messaging part, as we talked about earlier, is in the Pigeon IM client. And so Pigeon has its native logging tools to log all of its chat sessions. And that native logging is not tied directly into the base of Novell Teaming. Uh, in addition, obviously, the voice data isn't really searchable because it's not that possible yet to do. I'd like to search on, you know, on a phrase and have it turned into speech-to-text and then search on a text directory. However... Everything in your blogs, in your wikis, every piece of, of text that's written or typed inside of a threaded discussion, inside of one of these custom forms, in the folder, in an individual user's profile, such as their email address or maybe their hobbies or their skill sets if you're doing like expert location, all of that information, every little bit, including the data inside of a, an open office document or presentation or spreadsheet or a Microsoft Office presentation or spreadsheet or any of those kind of things or PDFs, all of that data is actually indexed into a search index and is openly available to search from anywhere in there, and the search results automatically know what you as an individual user have access to. So you could search for a topic, and it'll immediately bring up the listing of everything that meets your search criteria. So do I have the ability to do tagging then within this? Yep. It also has the ability to do tagging on any element you want. You can search on individual tags. Tags are even more prevalent for a search purpose. What uh, we actually have... There's a couple different search options that are available. One is just a, a basic search where you can type in whatever you want and hit search and we'll go out and find it. But when you're looking for tags or when you're looking for, for people, for that matter, or actually for a location, so the name of a folder, the name of a blog or a wiki, each of those three topics is actually, as you type, the system automatically figures out which possible tags or people or locations meet your typing needs. So if I type in A, it's going to start pulling up all of the different people with the first name, you know, first name or last name that begin with an A. And as I keep typing it, it'll slowly refine that and so we'll be able to see my results in real time almost. And with basic search, if I want to search for every document involving, let's say, Apache, I could type in Apache into the regular box, hit submit, and it'll automatically bring me up all the search results that have the word Apache in it. In addition, the search result page goes one further step on this in our search index is we actually index who the people are, who the actual individual contributors are that contributed the majority of those documents. So let's say there are 30 hits and 15 of them came from one person and the rest were spread out. I'd actually see on the left exactly which person seemed to be, based on my search, what the, the expert on that topic, so I could actually see if they were, to, again, then online and have a more in-depth conversation with them. And on top of showing me the, the names of the people who contributed those documents, I also see a listing of the locations where those documents came from. 
So if I notice that all of my Apache documents came from a single folder called, let's say, you know, web servers, I could immediately click on that folder and be brought directly into that folder and see what threaded discussions are taking place there that maybe don't have the word Apache in the title. Now, a sense that uh, we can go way beyond just uh, single-function applications inside the same environment here. It's not like the typical support uh, or bug tracking system where you're stuck in the single purpose. We, c- we could develop new uses, uh, threads direct, uh, going in any direction independently here. Yes? Unquestionably. I mean, for any one given system, you could have, we haven't even, I mean, obviously, as we know, we haven't really touched on yet, you know, the multitude of, of blogging tools and wiki tools and the fact that it can send you RSS feeds and all those other pieces, and all those can exist in that, in that one system. So I could have my, my support folder, which could be separate from my HR, you know, vacation tracking folder, which is run by the HR department, which could be separate from some other new function that, that exists out there for the purpose of bringing a product to market, let's say. And each one of those folders can exist completely separately, but also be working with the same groups of people or different groups of people as they get associated, be working through that. Now, this sounds like a very exciting and a, and a big suite of products. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on on the back end? You know, we're, we've talked indexing, we've talked wikis. You know, can we talk a little bit about what sort of storage requirements there will be? What sort of hardware and application requirements and processing requirements? You know, what's going on on the back end? So on the back end, it's built on uh, on J2EE, so it's built that way. Um, the majority of the uh, the pieces that are used are open source pieces. Uh, so, for example, part of the display is the the library open source portal. Uh, we're using Lucene, which is an open source search indexer. We're using uh, a number of other sort of uh, different pieces like that in there. In terms of of system requirements, uh, a lot of it depends on the usage model. So for for most of our most of our initial deployments and our beta testers and those kind of things, in general, we're running on, on 64-bit operating systems. So we're running a lot on the, on the new Core 2 duos. And if you're running on a server, there's the, the quad cores now that are out there as well. Okay. Um, in terms of, of space, the system has both a, a local file store ability. So you're storing files natively, which means we allow, also allow to track all the version control, all the change history, those kind of things. Uh, we also have the ability over WebDAV to actually point a folder to a pre-existing content repository that you may already have on your system via WebDAV link, and it allows us to have that stored possibly separately. In addition, all the metadata that we have is stored in database. And so by default, the install usually works with MySQL database. However, the system is also uh, perfectly happy running with an Oracle backend or a SQL Server backend for either of those types of environments as well. On the database side, there's a bit less of a, of a storage need because, again, all the, the actual files themselves are being stored on the data structures itself. Mm-hmm. With regards to the storage needs, again, that depends on usage. If you're a group that's doing a lot of threaded discussions with very, very few attachments, you may find that your storage needs are, are very small. On the other hand, you may have a small team that's doing nothing but moving around multiple gigabyte CAD files, for example, in which case you're going to need you know a few terabytes of storage to handle that kind of level of document usage. Okay. So as far as the install goes, do I start with like a LAMP server up and running? Not really, not so much. The way it actually works when you do an install is the, the opening step is you make sure you have your database set up and configured. So in a, in a basic install, it's a MySQL database. Now that can be on all in one box. So for example, I could run this entire environment in a, a single virtual machine. So it may not have the best performance you know, option based on the size of the machine. Or I could run that database on a separate machine either way, it's fine. Then when I get to the actual machine hosting the software, whether it's a virtual machine or a separate computer or what, what have you, 
the first thing I do is actually make sure that I have the Java virtual machine installed properly. And so the Java runtime environment, the JRE, has to be installed. And so with the proper Java runtime environment, that's actually what's handling the majority of the, uh, the heavy lifting, if you will, when you're working on anything. What about uh, synchronization and latency? You know, I mentioned my team of, of engineers, and we've got some across the Atlantic. You know, is there such a thing as maybe a replicated server over in, in a branch office somewhere else that we would need to have so that they don't experience the latency like you, when you're talking a cell phone? Or, uh, you know, what, what kind of issues do we have going on there? A lot of it depends. The system is designed, of course, for enterprise usage, so it does have the full capability to be clustered or to have, uh, you know, hot failovers and to uh, to do those kind of things. So in a, in a clustered environment, a lot of that depends on what's running the, the cluster and how you're doing that. And so you could have a cluster controller that's set up to uh, to stripe across multiple servers in multiple different locations, uh, but it becomes mainly a networking exercise more so than anything else. And so you could do that if it's, uh, you know, but it doesn't really, it's not so much focused on inside of Novell Teaming, because Novell Teaming's idea is that it runs in any of those environments. So if you decide to deploy it in a system whereby, um, let's say you have a packet filter that says, if the request comes from you know, this set of IPs, I want it to hit server A, and if it comes from this set of IPs, I want it to hit server B, and you make that list of IPs, the external interface from your, your let's say your German group goes to one server out there, and the other one goes to the one back here, you can set up the backends; they're tied into the same server because the latency, when it comes to storing data, doesn't really matter as much. Mm-hmm. Again, that's one of the powers of, of using AJAX, using those types of technologies, is that the majority of work you're doing on a, in a collaborative web-based environment is, is you're reading content and you're typing content. And so the whole time you're reading, it can be doing refreshes in the background, and the whole time you're writing, it's also doing more stuff in the background. And so the actual amount of time that data is moving back and forth is very little because you, you click on something and at that moment it's moving data and once it's there you're just reading it or interacting with it and it doesn't really need to have that connection continuously if you will. Okay. So we, we've talked about uh, collaboration a lot. What we haven't hit on at all is the workflow stuff. Can you kind of give us an overview of what the workflow does? Yeah. So there's there's two levels of, of workflow in Novell Teaming plus conferencing. There's the, the one that ships with Novell Teaming and there's an additional module that's available similar to the telephony module called Advanced Workflow. Now, what the basic workflow gives us the ability to do is to set up an actual workflow process or business process, if you will, that an individual piece of content can be taken through. So, for example, I could post a a new document and I could say, okay, I need this document to be reviewed for a number of different reasons before we actually publish it. And a workflow can actually be built that takes a document automatically from step to step to step and automatically sends an, an email notification out to people when it's their turn to act, allows us to to manually walk that document through a process. So at any given moment, let's say a manager comes down and says, okay, where is this current, let's go back to the support case example, where is this current support case? I can go to my support case and look at its workflow status and see that it's in a waiting for info state. And so the waiting for info state would tell me that I've actually issued a reply and I'm waiting for the customer to respond back to me. So it gives us the ability to, it's almost like a, um, like a tagging way that, except it's a pre-ordered way to tag things. So it has a certain process, a select process you go through. Uh, this also, of course, works in the HR world when you, let's say, if I request a certain week off or a time off, I could have the process walk through getting manager approval, getting HR approval, making sure I have the number of days available in my pool, all those kind of things. And when it's finally submitted, it could then automatically be put onto a calendar, those kind of things. And that's the, the basic workflow. What the advanced workflow module allows us to do, actually, 
is, in addition to that, allows us to do question-based transitions where the system can actually ask you questions, and based on your answers, it can determine uh, which leg of a workflow process it should go down through. In addition to that, it has the ability to, uh, to tie in directly with that custom form we talked about earlier. So let's say in our custom form, one of the fields is which support engineer is assigned to this particular case, let's say. It could actually, the workflow can pick up on that person's name and be able to send just that one person emails or just the person who created the entry emails or, uh, or instant messages as well. And in all those cases, it allows us to very carefully tailor an application so that for this one entry, it's going to go to that particular engineer and this particular customer. It's going to tell them exactly what they need to know. But without having to do any further development work, when customer B comes in, they're going to receive that same personalized attention because of the fact that we've built it into that workflow process. And one step beyond that, the workflow process also has the ability to do, the, this is again, the, uh, the advanced workflow piece, has the ability to do multi-threaded workflows. So I could say something like, when I get to state three, I want to automatically wait for these four other sub-processes to complete before I'm allowed to go to step four. And so I can actually build it that way where it, has to, where it does that. And again, the key, similar to a form, is the idea is that you go through all the work of, of interviewing the users and determining exactly what our business process is. And once you do that, and once that workflow is built and applied to a, to a single folder, let's say, you never need to worry about it again. You don't need to manage it again. And the entire managing and building of it, of course, if you do need to go back, is all web-based. It's all point-and-click. It doesn't involve coding. Uh, it doesn't involve needing to call up IT to restart a system or to put a file here or anything like that. It can be done just by your simple power users clicking around and determining how that gets built. And can I create ad hoc workflows if uh, suddenly something happens that uh, requires specific handling? Can I create an ad hoc uh, workflow for that particular scenario? Of course you can. Great. There's a couple different ways. One is that you could just sort of build it on the fly. The other option is, uh, and the way we usually tend to do it or to tend to, uh, to instruct people on how to build it, is to leave open a number of manual transition possibilities. So, for example, when, when a business process comes down, it says it's going to always go from one, two to three. And you suddenly realize, well, this one actually needs to go back to one. I need to restart this because there's some, some variable that changed halfway through. And so you can actually build in those contingencies, those, those manual transitions to rapidly handle ad hoc processes. In addition, and this is where the real key to functionality comes in, is you can choose exactly who has access to what transitions. So, for example, maybe it requires a manager override to jump back to the first step again. Or maybe it requires, you know, a certain sign-off in order to do another thread of the process. And so you can actually take care of making sure that the access control is monitored for all of that so only the right people are doing the right thing. And is that role-based? So yep. uh, it, all the way through this workflow stuff, as I'm defining things, it can be defined on a specific role rather than being tied to an actual individual, right? Right. It can be tied either to an individual, to a group, to a, to a role. And the one step beyond that, as I alluded to before, is it can actually be tied to a role that gets built at the moment you submit an entry. So mm. similar to what I talked about with that engineering, uh, choosing the engineer field, is that engineer field now there's a role basically that gets created on the fly called the engineer role. And whatever user is selected for that engineer role then receives those rights and responsibilities for that particular thread of the workflow. When you create a second entry with a different engineer in that place, and that role is treated towards that person. So it's incredibly flexible. There's also almost innumerable things you can do with it. So this is the final piece in the puzzle in Big Brother. Basically, I can't escape the man now. 
that's the way the enterprises apparently want it. <laughs> now, you, you talked about exceptions to rules. Do I have the ability to put time-based exceptions so that I can say if, and, you know, this never happens, but if my manager doesn't actually approve this thing within 24 hours, then it goes through another branch? Yep, I have the ability. I've only sort of touched upon briefly most of the functionalities in this tool, but that's definitely one of the pieces. So we can do manual transition where you do it by hand. We can do question-based transitions. We can do time-based transitions, anything from, you know, I'd like it to transition in one hour to if there's no activity for five days, do something different. So we can do all of those things without a problem. We can actually build in variables uh, into the workflow that basically says if you see uh, let's say, for example, if a user says that it's a Linux problem, it automatically goes down a different process role than if, it, if it's a Windows problem. So you can trigger it off of fields in a form. You can trigger it off in variables that you set hard. So I could say it's state one, set a variable called foo to one, and later on I can say, okay, foo gets set to three if a certain condition is met, all in the back end. So again, it almost gives you the ability to program, but without needing to know any programming language. You're just doing it all again through the point-and-click uh, interface. Can I create composite transitions where uh, there are multiple conditions that uh, combine to decide whether it, uh, it goes to the next stage of a workflow? Yep, that's correct. You can actually do uh, ands or you can do ors. <laughs> so I can say, for example, if it's been, uh, let's say I've had, uh, I need everybody to have issued a reply. Let's say I'm waiting for feedback from three people. So I can say once everybody has replied, I want to move forward. Or once everybody has replied and it's been more than three days. Or I could say, or if it's been more than three days, for example. So I could say, if it's been three days and they haven't replied, automatically move it forward, basically saying that, okay, we've waited long enough for your response. So we can do any sort of aggregation of that as well. Rob, we've talked about users quite a bit. I got a couple questions on users. First, how do you actually get your users? Is that pulled straight through an LDAP directory, or do I import users? How do I get the initial users in the system? So there are a couple of ways to do that. Uh, one way, of course, is just to manually create individual users uh, on the fly. The, the second way and the way that we expect 99% of the, uh, the users of the system to be added to it uh, is via an LDAP connection. So you can actually hook it directly into your LDAP, uh, whether it's eDirectory or Active Directory or any of those kind of different LDAP tools, and it will automatically sync in all those users and get them usernames. And you can, again, of course, choose different parameters on that connection and say that, I don't want to have them created automatically. I just want them to be able to log in. And so if they log in, they'll pick up a username, but if not, they won't, uh, and those kind of things. Or you could just say, I want all of these users to instantly be in the system uh, via one-time sync. In addition, the system will be able to, whenever a user logs in, if you so choose, the system can go back out to that LDAP uh, directory and pull in any new information and sort of resync that data. And the data can sync either direction. So if you decide that you want to set it up so that when a user gets deleted inside of Novell Teaming, that they also get removed from the, uh, the LDAP directory, you can tell it to do that. So the sync actually goes both directions. I assume that that sync's then done via a proxy user? Sorry. When you, when you set up the LDAP connection, you're actually uh, you're setting up an authentic- authentication string to connect to it, similar to how you do with a database. Right. So you, you're you're giving it a user that gets that, you access yeah. to doing whatever you need to do. And then everything is based on, on a CN or an OU as it goes back and forth. Okay. And when I create users or I import them through my LDAP directory, what types of things are created for them? What's their user experience that's going to be available to them? So when a user is created, the system also creates for them a personal workspace or a landing page or a home page, if you will. And what that home page allows that user to do is to fill out a number of pieces of information about themselves. They can upload a, a picture of themselves, which is very handy if you have a geographically dispersed uh, workforce. I know it's always great to sort of see what a person looks like who you're talking to all the time on the phone or receiving emails from. In addition, it gives that person a personal blog. 
They have a blog that they can add different content to, a personal file folder. It also gives them a guest book. And one of the reasons for the guest book idea is that it also allows that personal page, that personal homepage, if you will, to almost be like a MySpace or a Facebook page. So it's sort of a comfortable way for a new user, let's say, that isn't familiar with using a web-based tool this thoroughly, I should say. It allows them to have that homepage where they can say, okay, I can upload a few pictures. I can add some text to this blog thing. I can start to feel out the application before I, I feel stupid doing something in a, in a more globally accessible area. And so it allows them to play a little bit while also def- refining and defining that space as their own. And so because of that, other users can then come in and look at that homepage. And actually, there's a guest book that's created so they can add new comments saying, you know, hey, your guest book looks great. I love that picture, uh, those kind of things. And we find that, that this usage is great. A lot of companies these days are actually turning to, uh, to, let's say, Facebook and actually having their employees go on there. And the big problem with that, of course, is it's outside of the, the company's sort of control and outside of their network. This allows you to bring in a lot of that, that functionality into uh, into your own network and into your own organization allows you to have access to some of those same tools. So in groups where people are clamoring for the ability to blog, and again, a blog doesn't need to be a personal, you know, hey, I went on this trip. It can also be team-based saying, okay, my product team is releasing a new product. Here's a list of the features that we think are going to be out in this particular beta release. You know, what is everybody's thoughts? What else would you like to see? And those additional comments can then work that way as well. So it's a, a large number of these, these newly available social tools are actually can be put into a person's workspace, which allows them to feel that sort of sense of ownership over, over their domain of, uh, of the software, which is we find really good for user adoption. What if I want to completely customize a section of uh, Teaming Plus conferencing, perhaps to make uh, my own personal integration with another application, other APIs? Uh, there will be APIs provided. Uh, the most commonly used one is going to be via web services, so using sort of you know XML over SOAP and those kind of things. And so there's going to be an actual interface when you initially do the installation, there's actually an option to expose those web service APIs. Uh, and the documentation for that, of course, will be available also. Okay. And Rob, I've got one final question for you, and that is we've actually talked about, I believe, three different products here. We talked about uh, teaming. We talked about teaming plus conferencing. And then you talked about the advanced workflow. Can we just get a quick summary of uh, exactly what components are in that again? So what was included in teaming by itself? Uh, sure, I'd be happy to. So there's actually four products we talked about. The one you, uh, you missed there was telephony. Oh, the, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. The main product is Novell Teaming. It's the no, what Novell Teaming is is pretty much everything you see through your browser interface. So that exposes us to all those personal workspaces, to blogs, to wikis, to folders, to custom forms, to simplified custom workflows, so workflows that have manual transitions and simple email notifications coming out of them. So it still gives you uh, a, lot of, a lot of usage there, but not quite as much as the advanced piece. And so in the base product, in that Novell teaming product, you actually have the majority of what you need to set up a collaborative system. You have all the document revisioning. You have the file store. You have the shared documents in there. You have the ability to do co-authoring because it actually handles restricting and locking and releasing files as you edit them. Uh, It has all the access controls, the roles, the responsibilities. All those kind of things are all built into Novell Teaming. When you add the plus conferencing portion, what you're adding there is the the meeting portion. And so the meeting portion allows us to run uh, online meetings, allows us to share desktops, to share applications, uh, to do whiteboarding, uh, those kind of features. Now, again, notice I did not mention voice here. The voice component is only available with the add-on module called Telephony. 
And the telephony module uh, includes, or as part of that, is the card that I talked about, which hooks into your existing PBX or offers the voice over IP option, which is then integrated into the rest of those pieces. One thing I failed to mention on the plus conferencing part is the plus conferencing also handles the, uh, the IM portion and the presence awareness. So the IM portion comes with a download, which is the, uh, the plug-in for Pigeon, which allows you to do the instant messaging through Pigeon and also pulls off that status from Pigeon and allows us to show what your current status is inside of Novell Teaming. And so that's sort of that plus conferencing part. And so in addition to the telephony add-on module, we also have the advanced workflow module. And the advanced workflow, as I talked about a bit more in depth before, that's the part that includes the multi-threads, uh, it includes the, the date-based transitions, it includes the ability to ask lots of different questions as you make transitions, uh, do automatic variable, uh, making variables to things, and those different integration points like that. And so those are the, the four major uh, sort, of, sort of offerings that are coming out initially. Rob Lewis is a senior analyst working on Novell's Teaming Plus conferencing product. Rob, thank you very much. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks. Okay, that was cool. We got a real good technical overview from Rob. But where do we go from here, Gregory? If somebody's interested in it, how do they get the code? How, how do they really move forward with this? Great question. So if your folks will go out and check out download.novell.com, Teaming Plus Conferencing is listed there as one of the top downloads. In addition to the eval software that's our typical 90-day time bomb kind of software with an activation code, there is a really good business white paper that will help IT people address how to talk to their management about implementing you know, next-generation teaming solutions. Yeah, because this is really kind of a different sale and a whole different product than what we normally do. That's right. This is really around how to meet you know, customers' particular business needs using this new set of collaborative tools. So take a look at novell.com forward slash teaming. There are a number of deliverables there, including this new business white paper that I referenced. We want to thank Rob and Gregory for taking time today to explain to us what teaming and teaming plus conferencing is. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Remember that Novell Open Audio is brought to you by Novell Users International, as well as Novell Incorporated. Most of our content is directed by our listener community, so please send us your feedback by email at openaudio at novell.com or by leaving comments on our website at novell.com slash openaudio. That's it for this time. Have a good one.